I want to let you in on a secret. As I started this podcast in 2022, I knew that I would have to keep looking for a steady stream of guests. It goes with the territory. After all, it's called Dialogues with Creators, not a monologue with yours truly. So I'm always on the lookout for creators and creative people to host and talk to. If you have any suggestions, send me an email with their name. Recently, I met someone at a local event, and I'm very happy he agreed to come on and talk to a relative stranger about his work. Stay tuned for a conversation you won't forget about power, fear, and religion. This podcast is about different kinds of creators and creativity. Our tagline is, sort of, creativity comes in surprising, unexpected ways. That means we don't just talk to artists, but other types of creators to discuss other types of creativity. In this podcast, we are conversing with a gentleman who lives in Dalton, Georgia, and who created an amazing book. I've been enthralled reading this book, but I've also been deeply saddened. Why? because it tells the true, very well-researched story of some people who use their own form of creativity, if you can call it that, to hurt a lot of people. And it bothers me for a deeper reason. I believe God is the creator of all things, and that through our relationship with God through Christ, we can enjoy creativity to the fullest. But sometimes that God-given creativity can be overlooked, misused, or abused. My guest today is Mr. David Cady, author of Religion of Fear, The True Story of the Church of God of the Union Assembly. Hello, David. Hey, how are you today? Thank you for asking me. I'm great, and I am so excited to be talking to you on this podcast, and I think we'll get a lot of listens to this one. I would like to start today with, of course, I have so many questions, but with why of this book? Why did you write it? Uh, or the background in your interest? Then the how of you writing it and getting it published, which is fascinating in itself. And then we'll get into some of the what or the content of the book and what you learned and wrote about, which is a lot. Is that okay? That's fine. That'd be great. Okay. So could you tell me something about your career background, et cetera, and what you're doing now? Okay, I uh, taught at Dalton. I taught in Florida for a while, and I moved to Dalton, but I was was raised in Dalton. So I was only gone while I was in college and then taught in Florida, and then came back to Dalton High School as a science teacher. Uh, a lot of people said I should taught history because that's my hobby. But uh, I taught for 32 years at Dalton High School. And then I taught at Phoenix High School, which is an adult high school, for eight years uh, after that. And uh, all the time I've, I've been a writer, uh, I, I'd actually had always wanted to do it. And then when I turned 50, I said, you better get started. <laughs> so I wrote my first book. Which, you know, I thought all you had to do was write something and send it off. And I didn't know how hard it was to get published. Yep. <laughs> I've got a big filing cabinet. I've saved all of the rejections for that one. <laughs> but um, then I uh, wrote one that 
uh, by the help of a guy named Gene Gabriel Moore, who edited it from Peach Street Publishing. And uh, it was about snake handling. Okay. And it's called it's called the handler and i actually made it into a novel and uh instead of a true story so that's what started me um uh writing and uh, that's actually what led to this one because um uh, a guy named um zach norville he contacted me. Zach's yes. uh, daughter, Debbie Norville, right. who was a former student of mine, and uh, he uh, he called me in his office. I don't know if I'm getting ahead of myself or not, but this other book had been quite successful, uh, the, the Handler, which came out in 2007, and uh, it was nominated for uh, Book of the Year at the Georgia Writers Association, mm-hmm. and. Um, Zach called me in, so wanted me to come to his office, and of course I didn't know why. And he says, "I've got an idea for you." And I thought, "Oh my goodness, I'm going to write a book about the carpet industry because it is working." <laughs> and I, but reluctantly went, and uh, he had bought Jesse Jr., who is uh, one of the uh, cult leaders. Later on, he bought his house down the on the uh, dugout road, and he says, "I want you to write a uh, a book about the Church of God Union Assembly." And I thought, "Oh my goodness, how am I going to do this?" And that you know, he says, "Well, I've got one person I want you to go talk to." So he sent me there, and it just started from there. And for five years, I've researched this book. Okay. So it started in 2007? You started the uh, research? or Yeah. Well, not probably about, probably about 2010. Okay. That's when it okay. started. And uh, I kind of went, went at it backwards because uh, I didn't know a lot. I, even though I grew up close to where the church, the main church was. The main church was in Dalton, Georgia. They call it the uh, headquarters. Hmm. And that's where the uh, head of the church stayed. But he has satellite churches in 19 states, I think about 48 churches. But mm-hmm. uh, he, um, I, I grew up, could see it from my front porch, the church, and did not know all of this was going on when I was a little mm-hmm. boy. And I knew they were different because they didn't allow the women to cut their hair. They could not wear makeup. The only jewelry they could wear was wedding ring. And sometimes they had to throw that in a collection plate because that was very important collection. And uh, they uh, had to wear long dresses and they had to, uh, um, the women, it was really, they treated women, I finally found out, like cattle. Mm-hmm. They were very, very tough on their women. They could not Mm -hmm. use doctors. They had to go to midwives and these midwives were not trained and a lot of people died. Mm -hmm. And um, I didn't know all this was going on Mm -hmm. until I started researching. Wow. So you mentioned you were you were a a teacher in the in at Dalton High. Right. So so you you didn't probably run against up against too many students because you said they were discouraged from uh, continuing their education. All right. Yeah. And, uh, and the ones I had, they're very quiet. They, basically, the members are very nice people. It was the mm-hmm. people 
teaching them. I mean, they were wow. using them for wealth Yes, was the bad part. Yeah. You know, you mentioned about the... Um the way the women uh, dressed, actually, you know, I'm, and I'm sure you know this, that in the holiness tradition, the Church of God tradition, that's the way it used to be for everybody, pretty much. You don't see it much anymore. But it was when I read it, being aware of that, I said, but this is like that on steroids or something. Yeah. <laughs> you know, all of those old timey parts of of fundamentalist and, and holiness things like zoom to the to the max and and then some you know and and then of course as you get into the book it's it's not even that it's just something so extreme and so disturbing that um it's you know it bears no resemblance to anything i've really experienced um and i come from a you know some conservative background but oh my um it was it was just it was very concerning so so, so that's interesting. And I appreciate your your transparency about that, because um, that was one of the main questions I had was, uh, as we mentioned in our talk beforehand, that it seemed like these things were going on and not just here, but all over the country, really. You know, they had branches in Indiana and Ohio and um, Texas and other southern states and things like that. Oh, and yeah. Detroit. Yeah. Wow. Detroit. And um, that they were um, just kind of under the radar so much in terms of I mean, occasionally they'd get in trouble with the law, but it seemed that they got away with a lot of stuff. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I was just interested in reading about that being kind of not new to Dalton, but just not having lived here my life that that this was going on and it so many people didn't know about it. Mm-hmm. Which is interesting, but just as a side note, um, I think I think we can be that way. We can be so much into our lives that we don't sometimes know what's going on with other people. Um, one time, I was teaching my students um, about we were reading something, and I said that this professor was at Morehouse College, and they nobody knew where that was in the class. And I said it's in Atlanta. <laughs> don't know where more, but it's historically black school and. They were all white, so they just didn't know about historically black schools. So we can get very into our little worlds sometimes. So, um, the uh, uh, University of Tennessee is wanting me to write a book, which I don't have time for right now. I taught my first year at an all black school, and yeah, uh huh. And uh, I have a lot of stories because that was in 1968, and that's oh, when wow. Martin Luther King was killed, and I had a lot in Vietnam War was going on, uh huh. And they're pushing me to write that, but I'm I'm not, I'm, I'm going to have to wait. <laughs> yeah, uh, going back also, you said about the snake handling book, the handler, and mm-hmm. that that was a um, a novel. But are you? There was a nonfiction book, um, Salvation on Sand Mountain. Do mm-hmm. you know that book? Yeah, well, I researched that book. Okay, yeah, and, I uh, haven't read it. I just that's an I hate snakes so. <laughs> I'm not going to read those things. But, right um, during the Waco thing, too. So I uh, combined, I combined those stories together. I see. Okay. And use uh, ha- things that really happened in two different areas and combined it into one story. Yeah. So that's yeah. what 
the, the one mine takes place on Sand Mountain. I'm not Sand Mountain, but uh, Raccoon Mountain, which was a continuation of Sand Mountain. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. The Waco thing. Oh, that was that was so horrible. Um, this, that was sad too. Um, so I should tell the listeners that uh, I met Mr. Katie David at a local author's fair at the Dalton Whitfield Library on April 1st. He was right next to me, sort of, in the uh, setup. And he was the most popular author there. (laughs) And it's partially because of who he is and his personality, but also his book about the Church of God of the Union Assembly. So when it comes right down to it, why why did you feel led to write this book? Well, uh once I got into it, I, I wasn't really gung-ho on it at first because I was in the middle of another book, which was a, a sequel to The Handler. And I was halfway finished writing through with it, which was a sequel, I said. And when Mr. Norville called me in, and so he sent me to, uh, actually, it was Charlie Carmichael at Dalton. He sent me to, and Charlie just died just recently, but uh uh, his dad was a minister there and was yeah. second in command. And then Jesse threw him out. And so Charlie gave me about four or five interviews. And then he suggested people that I go see. And, you know, when I'd have time, I would go see some of these people. I didn't. It took me a while. to. They would throw out names that I didn't know who they were talking about. Mm-hmm. So it took. I had to start writing things down and get me boards and timelines and trying to uh, organize all this. And I love doing that kind of research. Mm-hmm. Anyway. And so uh, as I would, I said, well, I better start recording that. So I started and I recorded 90% of everything so that I'd have backup. And so one thing led to another. One interesting thing, uh, when I when I would try to talk to people, uh, and I learned this about people, and they would say, oh, "I just don't want to talk about that. I, I can't talk about it." And I said, and sometimes it'd be over the phone. Sometimes I'd go see them. And of course, a lot of them lived in Indiana and California, and I'd have to call. Them. And they would say, "I'm not going to talk about it." And I said, oh, "Okay, I understand. I understand you went through a lot." And he said, "You don't know what I went through." I said, "Well, I know a little bit." And then. We'd have a two-hour conversation. Oh my word! Bless and hearts. May everything that happened. To and I would say, "Well, can I use this?" And some of them said no, and I didn't use it. So, and then eventually, people started saying, "Yeah, go ahead and use it. I don't care." And poor one lady who was in it, uh, she. She was a former member, and all of her friends were members of that church, and they actually ostracized her mm-hmm. for for me putting. She allowed me to put her name in this, and she passed away just past year. Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, it's it's been it's, it's very interesting. Yeah. Well, you know, and and I, I want to say I'm going to put these two links in the show notes for the podcast about uh, your experience at the Southern Festival books and the um, a couple other uh, another link too, and um, that struck me uh, you had some folks there at that panel who were um, who, who it, you had uh, talked to and one lady was asked about if she had to go through therapy 
and she was very transparent about it. And I, I just have to wonder, you know, what was the amassed therapy bills for counseling that those folks have had to go through over the last 30 so years, you know, because I imagine that the older people from back in the 30s and 40s and 50s, they didn't have counseling. People didn't worry about that stuff then. So they just suffered in silence. But at least now people can get some survivor therapy kind of things. Did you run into that a lot, that there were a lot of people had therapy or counseling? In in fact, after my book, I I didn't think about that until I started. Uh, We had a big show up at UT in Knoxville uh, when the book came out. And we uh, had uh, a book signing at one of the local book clubs uh, stores up there. And so a lot of the members came and they formed the survivors. um, Oh, Oh, my. Uh, at webpage. And, of course, you have to be a former member. And they said that's going to let me be in it. And anyway, getting to your question, a lot of them have post-traumatic st- stress disorder. Yeah. And uh, I always get confused when I say try to say that in an acronym. But uh, <laughs> so but uh, we went out to eat and we were eating at this Italian restaurant. And uh, one of the women went into the restroom and came back out and she was just real fidgety. And she she had she had got a trigger. And I didn't even know about this when I wrote the book, but she smelled Lysol in the bathroom. And that triggered her because they were not allowed to use any uh, anesthesia, any aspirins, anything. So for women hygiene, they were encouraged to use Lysol. Oh, my. And so that's another thing. It wasn't even in my book because when I wrote it, I didn't even know about this. Oh, how horrid. How horrid. Um, I may have to put a trigger warning on this podcast because <laughs> that's that's disturbing. Um, I've, and there was that, that other story that the woman told on the uh, at the Southern Festival of Books was just horrible. I was uh, was so sad. Um, so I'm very interested and impressed by. The fact that this was published by the University of Tennessee Press, because someone like me, who's always worked in higher ed, that's a big deal to get to get published by a an academic university press. So I'd like to know how that happened. Well, I had not quite finished the book and uh, I had made friends with um, a guy, Dr. Um, Rouse Hood, who teaches at the University of Tennessee at Chattanooga. He's, a, uh, he's yeah. a religious psychologist. Yes. And that's what he teaches. And so he was interested in it. And he is probably was the snake handlers in the, in the West, in the Appalachian Mountain area. Mm-hmm. And so he wanted to read my book. And so he read that one. And then I said, well, I'm writing one on the uh, Church of God Union Assembly. And he said, well, when you finish it, I want to read it. So I hadn't finished it. And when I finished it, I took it up there and we went out to eat and I gave it to him and he said, I'll tell you, I'll talk to you a week from today. And it was on a Thursday. Well, he called me on Sunday. He said, I've already finished it. Uh, yeah. And it was, it was 150 pages longer than the book is now. <laughs> he says, you got to get this published and I'm going to help you get it published. And Ralph had had nine books published. And so we sent it, he sent it, I sent it to Mercer and used his name. Mm-hmm. 
And so after about a month, I hadn't heard anything back from Mercer. And he kept saying, you heard anything back? So I called Mercer. I know you're not supposed to do this, but I said, I, you know, I called them. Right. And they said, well, we've looked at it here and it was a hard copy. And it, they said, this is too big for us to handle. We hadn't even read it. And so that's that's a lot of things that happen to you in the publishing. Yes, so, I'm, I know. <laughs> so he, uh, he said, well, let's just send it to UT and I'll make a recommendation. So UT had it for over a year before they said that they were going to publish. Mm-hmm. And finally, they called me one day and said, we're going to publish this thing, but we need to make some changes. And those changes lasted about a year and a half. Oh, okay. And it was uh, basically the changes, though, were to protect me and to protect Mm -hmm. themselves. And um, because I had a lot of stuff in there about um, psychologically, I tried to uh, research how these people are affected psychologically and how people could get into cults. And you teach them, well, you're not a psychiatrist. You cannot make these claims. So we had to take all that out. Yeah. And everything that I, you know, a lot of stuff that I had researched. So that's how I got into it was through Dr. Hood. Okay. So um, that's amazing. So you sent it to them about 2017 and it was 2019 when it came out. Right. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's it. Everything takes longer than it should. (laughs) But an academic publisher is going to be even slower than a, and non-academic, I guess. Um, the have you thought about repackaging or re redoing those those parts they edited out and doing the book as a different a different kind of thing, more of a uh, I don't know oral history, more of a personal kind of thing than as, as a historical academic thing. Well, I have. In fact, uh, they were. Uh... We have talked about um, taking just the interviews and do just the interviews, mm-hmm. and you and it, and they thought it would be very good for uh, religious studi- students. Uh, yes, resources. yes. And yes. we're talking about that, mm-hmm. but I've already got involved in another book, which I'm more than half finished now, and uh, we'll talk about that later if you want to, but. Uh, uh, I I I'll probably will. UT has mm-hmm. asked me to do that, but I'll pro- probably. Okay. Of course, they got to accept it too. You know, it's just because right. you've been published once doesn't mean anything. You got to yeah. meet their standards. Well, there's so much more um, awareness now of spiritual abuse in authoritarian kinds of church settings, and um, I'm by no means an an expert but i've you know read a lot of that and um you know a lot of it nowadays centers around sexual abuse and although that was part of the situation you were writing about it wasn't and it was it was definitely a part of it but it wasn't it seemed like it was more financial abuse in some ways that Mm -hmm. they just took everything it wasn't a tithe you know (laughs) 10% 10% you typical Baptist thing. It was a everything, um, you know, and to the extent I don't know how those people lived. Um, I didn't much. Yeah. Yeah. 
So. Well, I mean, one of the things he would tell them is, of course, this is, I guess, in the book. Uh, uh, if 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 it doesn't, if ten percent is all that belongs to God, then you're not giving God what He needs because He needs everything. <laughs> God doesn't need anything. <laughs> you can't just give ten percent. He would say ten percent is not is not in the Bible. You're right. Supposed to Everything, everything belongs to God. Of course, then then he told him he was God, so he got everything. Yes, yes. And that was, um, oh boy. So um, so just one more question about the, so it was basically a seven-year process to write the book. Right. Yeah, right. okay. So for those of you out there who think you can write a book in a month, <laughs> it won't be any good. It won't be as good as David's. All right, so... Um, yeah, so we we've already you know started to get into this, and um, uh, I also did want to mention that you had uh, we'll give a link to this that you were invited to the Southern Festival of Books in 2019, which is a big deal, people, uh, <laughs> and uh, you can see that um, that panel discussion he was on, and some of the folks from the church who uh, spoke, and it was quite moving. So now I want to get into the what. Um, I know that some of your book is controversial to some people, to say the least. <laughs> well, just, I mean, we could go into that. But I, and I, like I said, it amazed and it disturbed me. Um, I think to give kind of framework, um, my understanding that in 1917, a, a gentleman who was not really a preacher, but he sort of was, he wasn't ordained in the sense we think of today. He was kicked out of one Church of God sect, and he started his own sect. Was that what you would say? Yeah. yeah. And his name was C.T. Pratt or Charles T. Pratt. And he seemed to fumble around for a while in the 20s until it really took off with his new church. And um, he had a lot of kids and he had and he was illiterate. And uh, his wife was literate and she was sort of the power, it seemed like, you know, as far as getting him to under, you know, to know the Bible. She'd read the Bible to him and he'd memorize it and things like that. And uh, then so he was in charge. And then his son in the 40s, uh, Jesse Pratt, took over through some finagling. And then he died in the in 74. Right. And his his son, and these aren't always the oldest son, but his son, Jesse Jr., who had apparently some trouble with the law, right? <laughs> he seemed to have been discharged uh, from the service. Um, he took over and he was, you know, so the two Jesses were, took took it even further in, you know, uh, it seemed like C.T. Pratt was, he was wrong, but he wasn't so wrong. But then the Jessies really went crazy. Mm-hmm. Is that is that kind of the overview I, picture? Yeah. Okay. I think CT kind of meant right when he started the church. I think you know other. Uh, I think he had no plans to form uh, uh, this strong of and. You know, they don't want you to use the word cult anymore. Right. Uh, they want you to use uh, cor- corrosive behavior, uh, persuasion. And, uh, huh. But uh, that's according to Dr. Hood. But uh, yeah. uh, C.T. was uh, illiterate. He was an alcoholic. And mm. 
seemed like that followed in all of his children, too. Yeah, yeah. Jesse Jr. died of cirrhosis of the liver when he was 55 years old. And mm. so uh, and then the, there's been wars and counter wars. Who's going to take over the church after that? But um, uh, CT didn't mean well. Uh, but he, he got a hold of that money and he learned how to use the money. And I interviewed a, a former state of United States uh, Congressman Erwin Mitchell, who had served in, in Washington, and he had, de- had dealings with C.T. Pratt. And uh, I'd interviewed Erwin uh, uh, because he had uh, had to uh, uh, sue Jesse, mm. basically, because of lack of child support from his first wife. But uh, he told me that C.T. was and the story that happened to Erwin is in the book that um, CT was could not was illiterate, could not read, but he was one of the smartest men that he had ever been around. So he had common sense and knew how to finagle people. And that's basically and he got yeah. worse as his son got older. Uh Jesse um who was his fifth son, basically. Mm-hmm. But it's, you know, everybody thinks it's the oldest child, but it was his fifth son. Right. Right. To go. And um, there was some discussion in the book that Jesse, the Jesse P. Pratt, right? The middle one. He was bipolar. And from his behavior, I would say some other things, too. But I'm, again, not a psychiatrist. But, you know, definitely some paranoia there. But. Um, because he could be so charming and obviously people followed him, but then he was just violently evil people. Yeah. Um, that was told to me by four or five different people I interviewed. Mm-hmm. In fact, one of them that I interviewed, uh, told me, I said, well, how do you know he was bipolar? He says, cause I'm bipolar. He says, I was diagnosed with it. Mm -hmm. So, and then some other people, a lot of people said this. And so I I never met him. So I don't Mm -hmm. know. know. Yeah. So um, I'll let you at this point, you know, as far as, um, you know, whatever, what you want to say about the content of the book and maybe how it affected you personally, because I'm kind of interested in that. Um, I have a hard time calling it a church because it doesn't bear a lot of relationship to what I consider church. But <laughs> um, it to me, it's just a sect, unfortunately. And I'll you know, I could call it the other word, but I won't since I'm not supposed to. Um, so. You know, as you were reading, learning these things and and you can talk about what you learned, you know, I, I'm I'm interested in how it affected you personally. Well, it did. In fact, it affected my wife, too, and my whole family. Uh, And so when I was in the middle of it and she was finding out some of the stuff, uh, she told me she's she's never done anything like this. And right in the middle of my research, she says, you're not going to write this book, are you? And I said, yeah, I plan to. And she just, oh, please don't write this book. I said, well, I'll think about it. So basically, secretly, I just went ahead and kept doing my work. 
<laughs> because here's what she saw. There would be lots of times once I got into it and people found out I was doing it, especially members, former members from all over the country. Uh, this seemed to happen on Sunday. I'd get a call and they says, I'm so-and-so and I live in Kokomo, Indiana, and I want to tell you my story. And there would be times that it would I would hear their story and I was recording it all the time that it was just tear me up to hear what they had to say. And she would, and that would put me in a kind of a sad mood and that's how it affected me. And then of course, then I started getting um, threats once it got to the point that it was going to come out and everybody started talking about it. And we, Basically, we're worried about, you know, uh, repercussions, you know, uh, violent repercussions. Mm-hmm. And when I went out for a while, you know, I uh, uh, hate to say this, but I got a permit to carry because I had been threatened so many times, carry a weapon. And I don't do that, but uh, I could if I wanted to, because I mean, there were some violent threats against me. Right. And um, anyway, that's how it affected me. What what were they? Was it because they had done something or was it because of family members had done these things or they just didn't want it known that they had been connected with that group? Well, yes, all of that. Okay. All of that. Uh, For example, I had a call from a young man in Texas and his uh, father who's still alive is in this book and he uh, he told me he says my grandfather are you going to write anything about my grandfather and I said well I can tell you but I am and I've already the book was already at UT we were in like the second um, second uh, the final uh, proofing Mm-hmm. Uh, final proofing and uh, so I read it to him and and it was about his dad uh, who was a, one of the C.T. Pratt's grandchildren but his name was Pratt who had uh, beat up a guy and mm-hmm. uh, the guy stayed in a coma at, at church uh, in a coma for a week and this happened in the 70s and so the, the guy said, well, my grandfather said this didn't happen because I wrote what I said. He, I said, really? He says, he said that didn't happen. So I said, well, would you like for me to send you an article out of the Dalton paper that talks about it? <laughs> so he said, yes, I'd really like to see that. So I made a uh, uh, scan of it. And sent it to him, and I haven't heard a word from him since because the articles in the Dalton paper talked about exactly what happened. Yeah. And even more than I had put in the book. And, you know, so that's the kind of stuff. And then, you know, people's tried to trick me and call me and not really be uh, who they say they are and try to get me to say things. And I have to be very, very careful about, you know, saying things that mm-hmm. 
not true, but UT made me, if it wasn't a personal uh, experience by somebody, I had to have two sources mm-hmm. for every thing that uh, that I put in the book. Right. So and it is very well sourced. I mean, it's got, it looks like 50 pages of footnotes. <laughs> recitation so um yeah you know in the uh the the video at the southern festival of books that that very nice looking young woman got up at the end and said that she's still in the church and i you know listening to her i think she was disturbed by what had been said it struck me that she was like um you know i'm sorry this happened to you all it it hasn't been my experience but it seemed like she was affected by it like Maybe I need to rethink this. <laughs> you know, do you, you remember who I'm talking about? Nice looking girl with, yeah, yeah. Um, with the uh, long dark hair. I and, um, got a letter from our boyfriend a little bit later, and and uh, and he apologized for all of that. And so hey, it was, I said, well, you know, no problem. Yeah. And, uh, so I, you know, the. The other thing I think that also I think is hard maybe for somebody living in 2023 and we're we're so, so full of ourselves and everything is understanding why people were attracted to this. You know, why people followed, uh, especially Jesse, Jesse, the, you know, CT's son. It was why they were taken up in that. Um, And to some extent, it was uh, the fellow at the at the panel said that they were born into it and they were told we're not going to we're not going to so much get converts. We're just going to make our own converts by having 12 kids, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. And so they were born into it and they didn't really know anything else that that was how church was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. That was how religion was supposed to be. Um, did you find that they that they were very good at getting converts People from, say, who were not religious at all or who were Methodist, Baptist or something who decided to become this thing? Or did they just kind of get their own types of people? Well, they got their own kind of people. And the only converts they would get is if somebody was going to get married to a person who was not a member of the church, then that person had to join the church and be a member for six months before they would allow them to get married. Uh Uh-huh. Or they had to leave the church. And the sad part of it, and I don't think we've talked about it, is that some of these people that left the church mm-hmm. were never permitted to see their family again who stayed in the church. And one man who helped me an awful lot with this thing, Charles Roberts, he uh, didn't even get to see his uh, grandmother for 30 mm-hmm. years, and she died without him ever getting to see her mm-hmm. and that's because they were not permitted to and if they did then they were called up in church and ostracized right in front of everybody mm-hmm. and rebuking and I, we haven't said anything about right so yeah i wanted you to go ahead on the rebuking stuff and and the, the fear yeah go ahead it's- it was i didn't see it but i heard so much about it mm-hmm. that that was started by jesse uh, CT, as far as I know, I could never find out that he ever rebuked anybody. But once Jesse became a minister in the church in the 40s, mm-hmm. 
during World War II. And the uh, reason he didn't go into the war was because he only had one eye. And so he had uh, been splitting wood and a splinter went in his eye and he pulled it out himself. Of course, they didn't go to doctors or anything. Yeah. But um, Jesse started what they call rebuking. Of course, rebuking is in the Bible. But he did it just, he carried it like everything else, just a little father. And uh, he uh, <laughs> he started laying hands on people's heads and just jerking them around and, uh, you know, violently shaking their heads. And this was wouldn't be for a few seconds. This may go, may go on for an hour. And I even know some people that have had permanent damage to their necks and, mm-hmm. and stuff from this. And people would throw up. Women would, um, and here we are on a podcast, but they would uh, uh, sometimes, a lot of times, the women would uh, wet themselves mm-hmm. while they were being rebuked, and their dresses would fly over their heads. And uh, they, uh, one woman was rebuked. Uh, uh, when she was eight months pregnant. And, of course, uh, she didn't lose the baby, but uh, it, it was quite violent. One man, he always prepared them, Jesse did. And this is in the book. Uh, Jesse always would start hammering somebody during while he was preaching. And he would say, so-and-so, you're not doing right. It was usually another preacher. You're not bringing in enough money. You're just caring about yourself. And, and of course, you know that a rebuking's coming. And this happened in the 60s or 70s. I can't remember now. But when Jesse went to rebuke him, he fell over on the floor and he was dead. He was in his 50s and he died of a heart attack right there in the service. And this is how powerful everything was. Mm-hmm. And why nobody else would come in is they locked the doors at that wow. time. And uh, if you went down there, and there's people said they went down there, then they would invite you to sit on the front row. And if you got in before they locked them, and they wouldn't kick them out, but they would kick out former members if they didn't like how they were acting. But uh, – in fact, they didn't just say you leave. They'd pick them up bodily and throw them out the door. But mm-hmm. uh, there was a lot of fear. It was basically a fear factor. That's how mm-hmm. they operated mm-hmm. and got all their money, and they had no other choice. Right. Yeah. And but, to and to be honest, we've only you know gotten into a few areas. I mean the 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 money thing just blew me away. Um, how much money they amassed from these poor people that they basically treated like slaves, you know, uh, in many respects, they were enslaved. And um, which, I don't, again, I don't know how they got away with it from the IRS. <laughs> you know, they found they were very clever at uh, cheating the IRS, it seemed to me, although they did get caught sometimes. And um and that, and we also haven't even touched on the the sexual abuse aspects of it. You know, the uh, the one fella that uh, was in Indiana that I'm not going to say his name because he was a bad person, but um, yeah. Um, and then the the you know the you're going to marry her and he and you know you know the wife swapping kind of thing and um, all that stuff that was just you know it was just that these three men had so. And, and I guess they're 
family members as well, had so much power <laughs> that the people had given them. And um, because ultimately the people gave it to them, I guess, they allowed them to do this. And some walked away, but so many wouldn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, if you walked away, you were going to lose your family. And, yeah. and of course, some of them were bold enough to walk away. A lot of them mm-hmm. were bold enough to walk away. And, you know, it's just, it was a sad situation. Mm-hmm. They're supposed to be different now. I mean, they're allowing them to cut their hair and they're allowing them to go to doctors. And uh, But uh, at one time, they uh, even if you lived in Indiana, you had to come to Whitfield, Murray County, Murray County. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they, around here, we call it Murray. Yeah. <laughs> Murray. The Murray County. But uh, they had a birthing center over there, and it's still there. And I, uh, the women would go in there, and uh, actually, it was CT's daughter uh, uh, who did the her two two of her daughters and one other woman uh, who would actually and they they were untrained literate and a lot of the babies died and a lot of the women not a lot but some of the women died and I talked to um, people who uh, ran funeral homes and they would say my goodness we were going over there all the time picking up dead babies dead dead women who died and of course they kept this a secret you know that. Uh, and, and the reason they could keep it a secret is from fear again. They were, they could not talk about it. And, if, you know, and if a kid say, well, a kid wouldn't be fearful, but if a kid did something, then the parents would be rebuked. And so the children were, didn't want their parents to get into trouble. So they everybody stayed quiet about it. Hmm. But they're supposed to be different now. Hmm. Well, I certainly hope so. I mean, it's, it's, yeah, your last chapter is about that pretty much, I think, um, about since maybe the mid 90s, how it's been a little different. But uh, there's still a lot of people with, like you say, PTSD, um, I, I, I suppose that. Um, Some of the people that talk to me recently, and I have them talk to me all the time, and uh, they say, that some of them are still trying to go back to that, you know, mm-hmm. and tell them if you're ever a member here and you, you leave, then you're not going to heaven. They're going to the other place. Oh, wow. And so they're still, te- and that's what they're telling me. They saying that they're still, you know, if you don't go to that church, then you, you know, and then one guy said, well, what about these people who's never been members? And they said, well, they're okay, but if you've ever been a member here and heard the word, then you can't leave, you know. Yeah. And, you know, that's that was funny because, um, you know, the um, I didn't catch a lot of real theology in any of the things that these people said. Their theology and their their biblical hermeneutics and, you know, the, all that stuff was pretty weird. It was pretty out there. Um, and that's, you know, well, you said that th- those uh, Jesse is especially really took the place of God, you know, and, in the you know, uh, in, in the way he people treated him and everything, along with a lot of other stuff. And, and this um there was another area that um, another subject matter that 
along with the, the lack of theology that um, no, there's just so much. I <laughs> um, so I, I'll let you continue about anything you want you want to say about the book. Okay, uh, I guess I. Uh, there's been some deaths in the thing, like when Jesse died yeah. in 74, that I have heard everything that could mm-hmm. possibly happen to him. But to tell the story when people hadn't read the book, Jesse uh, and his wife, Irene, were separated. And, uh, of course, you were not allowed to get a divorce in there until Jesse and Irene met each other, and then they both had three children, and uh, I think one of them only had two. And um, they slipped off to Arizona, I mean, uh, uh, somewhere out there where you can get a divorce quick. And uh, they got a divorce and came back in. Well, later on in 74, Irene and him had already had five children, and he um, was going to separate from from uh, Irene, and he went over to, he was living in Murray in Murray County again at one of their farms. They owned a bunch of farms, and he was going over, and he told some people that he was going to tell Irene that they were going to uh, uh, separate. Well, that night, about 4 o'clock in the morning, uh, the funeral home, who's a good friend of mine, who went over and picked them up, picked Jesse up and Jesse they listed it as a heart attack but Jesse had bled out he had a gash in his head and he had bled out all over the floor and some of the people are trying to clean the blood up out of the floor and the coroner listed it I have his death certificate listed as a heart attack but Basically, and the guy who embalmed him, I talked to him, said he didn't have a pound of blood in him when they embalmed him. But that was a big mystery. And I've I've had all kinds of tales. People tell me that they were there. But, you know, I I didn't put a lot of that in there because Mm -hmm. I can prove it. And I don't know what happened. There's a lot of people think they know, but. There's still people alive that were there that night. There were nine people there staying in the house when this happened. And some of them are still alive. But. uh, Well, and, you you know, uh, in relation to that, the the Jesse person, the the first son, you know, he had. uh, And that's a story in itself. The way he he took control from his father. And um, what I found also very interesting was that I learned a lot about Dalton's history and I would recommend it to people just to learn about Dalton's history and Don West he was a character I've only become recently aware of him the alleged communist who was (laughs) uh, trying to be an activist I guess up here uh, at the um, with the textile workers union and uh, I did not know there was ever a, a textile workers union in Dalton you know, um, but that was back in the 30s. And I guess it kind of went away in the 40s um, and with. Well, and I guess when Don West left, they kind of went away. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Um, your your work in that is fascinating. Um, uh, you know, I was that was like a whole other thing. And I was I was like, I didn't know any of this stuff. 
and um, and that C.T. Pratt was in with him, you know, and that they were they were working together, which at, it, it but it seemed to be that it was like you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours kind of a thing, you know, that mm-hmm. Don West was able to use him and he C.T. was able to use Don West to to um, get money out of these poor, poor folks. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. is that is that what that, you would say? That's right. I know you team the director of the UT press is the one who edited my book and uh, himself. And he called me one day and he said, you knew Don West, you've written about Don West. I did, you know, Don West, pretty famous person. Evidently. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yes. Uh, oh, yeah. The, there was quite a story. He was here for a couple of years and I have a lot of information about him. He said, well, that's going to be worth it right there, just publishing mm-hmm. the book. So, yeah. uh, uh, but uh, I don't know whether Don West was a communist. He claimed to be at a time. Uh, um, the story how he got here, you know, they started their own newspaper. And by the way, I was able to get copies of that newspaper mm-hmm. from the University mm-hmm. of Georgia. Uh, and so I did. And um, what they had in there told me a lot of the history of it. Yeah. But going back to why I wrote about Dalton, uh, because I guess I knew more about it and there was more about this, but CT took over or he formed this church in the, uh, in Dalton and he formed it actually in 1918 down at Cass, Cassville, mm-hmm. which, um, Cass station, which is not there anymore, but, uh, uh, white, uh, I think it's called white church. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he, uh, came to Whitfield County because it, people, Whitfield County was a farming community. And then the textile industry moved in here actually making thread, cotton thread. And it became a crown cotton mill, which was the big one. And then American thread and a few others. And this is in like 1918, 1920. And so CT moved up here because he saw a market for his church. Because mm-hmm. all these people were moving in here from farms, uh, and they build, you know, that back then the uh, like the companies would have houses, and they would that would be their village, and they'd yeah, actually get the homes to the uh, to their workers. Because mm-hmm. you know, you got to realize people had to walk to work, so they had to live close. Mm-hmm. wasn't a lot of cars, and you couldn't leave your horse outside while you were working. So CT saw them, saw the, um, I'm just saying this from my research, yeah. he saw what was happening. And uh-huh. he did this in all these other towns, and he got a huge membership because mm-hmm. these people were coming in here. Most of them were illiterate, and he was able to, um, at first, he helped them. During the Depression, he actually gave away food, and he was able to raise food in it turned great dividends for him later on when the Depre- when World War II started. Then mm-hmm. everybody's, you know, I think they made parachutes around here, and uh, I didn't even yeah. put that. But yeah. That was one of the big things in tents and so forth. Mm-hmm. But that's why I wrote so much about Dalton, because that was just an example of how the, the, he was able to form this church. Mm-hmm. And from then on, it was just you were born into it, you know. Okay, that is fascinating. And so, folks, you need to get this book. 
<laughs> it is a please you need to know it is a it I don't want to say it's a fast read it's it reads like a novel but it is incredibly well researched and amazing so uh, I really recommend you you get this book and read it, read it. It's got so many things that a group could talk about, a book discussion group could talk about, a church group could talk about. I think it would be a great thing for a church group to talk about and uh, relationship to spiritual abuse and, and how people get off the track of uh, theology and things like that. I mean, it's um, I am just so glad that you've written this. And and that you were able to talk to me today. <laughs> so, um, but it is on its second printing. Now. That's awesome. Yeah. And uh, so um, they're running out of it at uh, Amazon now. And I think all the major bookstores run out of it, not ordered any because they ran out of them at one time. But uh, mm-hmm. they got so they reprinted it. So. Is it available on uh, Kindle or an ebook? Yeah, no, no. It's, it's not. not. Okay. In fact, I have it. It's been uh, made uh, already uh, into an uh, audible book. Oh. And it's already been done that, but it hadn't been gone through the process yet. Oh, they really need to put it as a Kindle because people, yeah, I think it would do. get I, more. I tried to talk, but they still got some books to sell. And so they said, <laughs> oh. Well, exactly. you know, they're wanting it as a supplemental textbook, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Okay. A research book. Mm-hmm. Well, again, thank you for being with us today, Mr. David Cady of Dalton, Georgia. Wonderful well, thank writer. Thank you. Okay, thank you. <laughs>